Thank you for joining us for this episode of the Institute for Policy Innovation podcast. We're coming to you today from the studios of Salem Media Group in Dallas, Texas. I'm Tom Giovanetti, the president of the Institute for Policy Innovation. Today is March 9th, 2023, and I'm joined today by IPI's resident scholar, Dr. Merrill Matthews. And today, Dr. Matthews, uh, you want to talk to us about Biden's budget blowout. So it's it's my understanding that just just this morning, uh, or was it yesterday or just this morning? That today. The, just this morning, uh, the Biden administration has released their budget. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, we should probably talk a little bit about the fact that presidential budgets don't really have any real legislative power, but right. they do tell you an awful lot about an administration's priorities, and, and in this case, maybe how much of a grasp of reality they have. They very much have become uh, signaling as to what they mm-hmm. want, message signaling as to what they want to do. Uh, I remember during D- George W. Bush, whenever he would release it, the Democrats would say it's dead on arrival as soon as it came out. Yeah, yeah. Um, Republicans are generally thinking the same thing, only they may be a little bit nicer about it. But it's a uh, yeah, it's it's something the president does. It does it annually. So well, we have a, we have a budget act, right? That you know, we could do a whole podcast on how badly flawed that process is. But we have a budget act, and it requires the president mm-hmm. to submit a budget, which is kind of weird since you know all spending is supposed to originate with Congress, but. Uh, the 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 budget act requires the president to submit a budget, so that's why we get presidential budgets. And of course, the Congress is not obliged to pay any attention to it. Right. And I suspect there will be a lot that they'll overlook in this one. So he starts out. He says that the the budget in, will increase federal spending in the twenty twenty four fiscal year to six point eight trillion dollars, and that's up from six point two trillion in the twenty twenty two fiscal year. Uh, he says he's cutting the nation. Now, this is the, this is where the joke comes in. Mm. He says he's cutting the nation's deficit by three trillion dollars over 10 years uh, by raising taxes and by uh, especially on people with four hundred thousand dollars or more in income. But I don't think anybody really believes that it's going to actually cut the deficit three trillion dollars. Well, if you're going to increase spending. But, you know, now that we're talking about trillion dollar budgets, mm-hmm. right. Uh, you know, what used to be a rounding error in a billion-dollar budget, what what you'd now consider to be a rounding error in a trillion-dollar budget is a, is a ton of money. Right. <laughs> it's a lot of money. So if you're going to raise spending by a lot, but yet also claim that you're going to cut the deficit or reduce the deficit, you must be planning on raising taxes a whole heck of a lot. So he says he's decreasing the deficit over 10 years by $3 trillion, but it also says that the, uh, according to his own budget, the, the federal debt goes up by a trillion dollars every year for the next 10 years. Because if, if you're reducing the deficit, mm-hmm. you're still having deficits, right? right? And so the deficit adds to the debt, even if it's a smaller deficit than last year. Exactly. It still adds to the to debt. F- to the full de- exactly. total debt. Yeah. yeah. So it's a it's it's a it's a big budget, and so he wants to pay for this not by cutting spending but by raising all kinds of new taxes. And I'll just go over a couple of them. So he proposes a uh, higher spending and a narrow deficit, a twenty five percent minimum tax on billionaires, and doubling the capital gains tax from twenty percent right now to thirty nine point six percent. So he's also calling for a uh, uh, minimum tax on unrealized gains of individuals with incomes over $100 million. 
He's adding a new oil and gas taxes that he thinks will bring in about $31 billion. He wants to increase the the top tax rate for individuals making $400,000 a year or more from uh, 37% 37% to 39.6%. So, th- so that's a return to the 396 Exactly, yes. B- before yes. the Trump tax cuts, right. But he's not, he doesn't want to stop with just personal income taxes. There's the corporate income tax, too, because uh, under Trump, they lowered it down from 35% down to 21%. He wants to raise it back up to 28%, which is where uh, he's been suggesting for some time that he'd like to be able to do that. He also has a one, there's a 1% stock buyback tax right now. So if, if a company buys back its, its stock, it has to pay a 1% tax. That went into effect in January of this year. Biden's proposing it be quadrupled to 4%. And I suspect that's really just a foot in the door that they want. It wouldn't surprise me at all if, if they get this through. If at some point in the near future, they don't say we need to make that 5 or 10%. Because they really want to try to stop the the stop buybacks, so there's a number of various aspects on taxes that they're wanting to impose, and that's not even including the Medicare taxes. So in order to remember, he uh, he said he wanted to make sure that there would be no cuts to Medicare or Social Security. Right. But Medicare is facing serious financial troubles. The uh, trust fund for Medicare, which only covers what's called A, the hospital expenses. Uh, that's supposed to uh, be exhausted in 2028, so just about three or four, four or five years from now. So he wants to increase the taxes on Medicaid, uh, known as the, Met, the net investment income tax on earn, unearned income from 400000 uh from 3.8% to 5%. So, okay, so this is not a payroll tax increase that he's suggesting. This part isn't, right. Okay, all right. This is net investment income, so okay. it's in addition to the payroll tax. Okay. So Biden also suggests eliminating loopholes in existing Medicare taxes to make sure that people making over $400,000 are paying their fair share. Now, the odd thing about this is when uh, Biden, after he became uh, left the vice presidency, he was writing books, he was giving speeches, he was making he created this special sort of tax loophole. He took advantage of this tax loophole that allowed him to avoid paying thousands and thousands of dollars in Medicare taxes because he did the, he he took advantage of this loophole. Now mm-hmm. he wants to end the loophole to make sure that people making over 400,000 uh are paying their fair share which he didn't pay when he was there. Well, you know, if we're going to start pointing out hypocrisy. <laughs> <laughs> this is going to be long, a long how podcast. How long do our listeners have? <laughs> So those are those are some of the major taxes he wants to to put in. He's also suggesting that he wants to um, increase the federal um, child care tax credit. He wants to increase that, ensure free preschool for all children uh, in the country, and uh, so he's he's adding a number of other things in there. Just besides tax, he wants to increase other additional spending aspects. So you know, we started off by talking about the fact that presidential budgets are usually dead on arrival because mm-hmm. because again uh, it's it's congress that does, that appropriates not presidents and it wouldn't be completely dead if if democrats still hold uh, had the house and senate but because republicans have the house right. it is essentially dead but what i wanted to point out is that 
because presidents are required to submit a budget, but because it really has no binding or controlling authority, mm -hmm. budgets turn into campaign documents. Yes, and that's exactly what and this when, is. When you're going through all of this, I'm saying this looks suspiciously to me like a campaign document. Yeah. I'm going to tax, I'm going to put about nine new taxes on the wealthy, on upper income people. I'm going to come up with all kinds of new giveaways for, you know, lower income people. Um, we're going to we're going to dramatically increase the capital gains tax. And mm -hmm. of course, this is under the assumption that it's wealthy people who make the capital gate, who earn capital gains, not understanding that anyone, anyone with any investments, IRA, 401k, 403b, even an old style pension plan, all that money is invested in all of those retirement funds. They earn capital gains. Mm -hmm. So there's in no way, this has been something IPI has been talking about for decades, in no way is a capital gains tax a tax on the wealthy. It's a tax on really anybody who have, has any retirement savings or re retirement plan whatsoever. You know, not even talking about other investments, but just if you have retirement money at work in the market, a capital gains tax increase is a reduction in the performance of your retirement money. Yeah, because remember, historically, we've said that that is for um, once you sell the, the asset, then you end up paying the gains. Right. And what the administration has been wanting to do is increasingly try to tax people as they have this wealth. Yeah. Uh, whether this, the stock market goes up or it goes down or you buy something that the value goes up, they want to tax it when you haven't realized a gain. Yeah, okay. Yeah, yeah, there was a couple of these that all involved taxes on unrealized gains. Right. So let, let's sort of talk about that for a second because, as you just said, you know, if you if you have an investment in stocks or bonds or whatever, when you go to sell, assuming you sell at a profit, that's when the actual gain occurs. That, that's when mm -hmm. you realize your gain is when you realize your profit. And if you hold it for a year, I think a year or more, yeah. the long, then you get the long-term capital gains, which is typically a lower rate than just a standard. Yes. But the gain happens when you sell. Mm -hmm. If you don't sell, there's no gain. There's only day-to-day -day and hour-to-hour -hour paper changes in the value. Mm -hmm. And, you know, it, 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 as any listener knows, who pays any attention to these things? I mean, the, the the price of a mutual fund changes every day, up and down. The price of stocks change place minute by minute. Uh, the price, the yields on bonds change minute by minute. And so, the idea of somehow being able to tax an unrealized gain is just crazy. It's crazy because what are you going to do? Let, let's say that you know Elon Musk has, you know, a billion dollars worth of unrealized gains this year, right? Well, what happens one month later when the stock market goes down and he, he, gives, up, he gives up all those gains? He's paid taxes on something that never actually existed. You, how do you calculate a tax on a transaction that has never taken place? And it, just a, as a bigger example, if you had owned Bitcoin, say, three years ago, mm -hmm. you would have been up to maybe in the $60,000 for a Bitcoin. Right. Now you're around 21000 but a few months ago, you were down to about 16000 Right. And so if, if you paid a tax on an unrealized gain, and then the value of whatever it is you were taxed on goes down, do, do you get a refund? <laughs> Do you get the money back? No, you don't. Do you, do you get to count that as a loss on your next year's taxes? No, you don't. It's, so so th there's no workable way 
to do this. There's no workable way to implement this. You can't you can't write the rules that make this work. And so that's just sort of further evidence that what you're actually looking at here is a campaign document, mm-hmm. not a real proposal for making actual concrete changes to the tax code. Well, my guess is Biden is throwing out a bunch of new taxes in hope that some of, hopes that some of them will stick. Not all, but some of them. Mm. You know, you, one of the things you mentioned here was increased taxes on oil and gas, mm-hmm. you know. So, it, again, this is just the Biden agenda is what this is. This is uh, we're going to subsidize green energy and renewables. We're going to put new taxes on fossil fuels. We're going to put a load of new taxes on the wealthy. And, indeed, his his budget calls for new uh, subsidies for green energy. Mm-hmm. And then we're going to... You know, we're going to raise eight or ten different kind of taxes on people who make, you know, over $400,000 a year or who have, you know, billionaires or whatever. And at some point, of course, this just came out today. At some point, you're going to have third-party groups who are actually going to run these numbers, too. And what you almost always are going to find out is that the proposed revenue that would come from these tax increases has been exaggerated. Mm -hmm. And the proposed cost of the new spending programs has been underestimated. Because, again, it's a it's a campaign document. It's a bit of political propaganda. But as you say, it does tell you what the president wants. Mm-hmm. And to some degree, the Democrats in the House and Senate will attempt to deliver at least some of what the president wants. And, the, you know, another aspect of this is, and I, this, this was a debate that was going on for some years ago, but it was the issue of it, taxing income. And the point in the Wall Street Journal that was made was, the real problem with doing this is is identifying, defining what income is, right? Uh, and what they're doing is is expanding the notion of income. So it's not just earned income; it's all kinds of income, even if it's not realized gains. Mm-hmm. So you can imagine if somebody was going to be paying you, paying a, a, a some a, a CEO in, we'll say it's a big amount, five hundred thousand dollars, huge amount, but a lot of that is from stock. And if the stock went down significantly, uh, what what might have put that uh, CEO in a big tax break bracket one year, uh, the next year when he has to pull that money up to pay that, right. he may actually be in a much lower tax bracket because the stock tanked. That's exactly right. That's exactly right. You know, when we first at IPI started working on tax reform, uh, one of the interesting little tidbits that I learned was that there's like five different inconsistent definitions of income in the mm-hmm. tax code. So the tax code itself doesn't really know how to how to determine what income actually is, right? And so when you look at starting to put taxes on unrealized gains and things like that, this is a further blurring of the definition of what income is. It, right. it, it makes it harder and more amorphous to figure that out. And you know, it's probably to the to the benefit of the IRS and the Treasury Department for it to be more complicated, <laughs> for it to be more difficult, right? Because it may be easier to to come after you with those, you know, eighty seven thousand new agents. And as you as you say, some of this is would be almost impossible. The problem if if you have a stock, you you have a sort of a, a basic idea as to how much it's worth because the market is out there. Mm-hmm. But there's all kinds of things. I had a friend who passed away and he had been collecting uh baseball cards all his life. And he had had some that were very early, were probably very valuable. This was not a high-income guy. He was a very lower-middle-income mm-hmm. guy, but he had these baseball cards all his life. And if somehow the government were to come in and say, we want to look at those baseball cards and value them, he would not have been able to pay the taxes on them. Yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, again, this this is just, just to sort of beat a dead horse. 
it is really ludicrous to try to tax an unrealized gain. It is really ludicrous to do it. Again, because in some cases, who's to say what it's worth? Mm-hmm. You know, because if you don't have a transaction, you don't have a definitive uh, answer to what something is worth. The only way you actually get a definitive answer to what something's worth is when there's a transaction. Who's to say what that shopping center is worth? You know, I mean, if you're a very wealthy individual, you own a shopping center or something, who's to say what it's worth? Mm-hmm. And it, it's probably not going to be worth the same thing next year that it is this year. Just like, just like we've seen housing values go up and down, right? All of these, all of these investments that people have, think about the art world, right? You pay $40 million for a painting. Uh, it could be worth more or it could be worth less. There's, there's bubbles, there's, there's, you know, ups and downs, there's bell curves and all the pricing, and all these things. So well, at what point do you assess the value to, for taxation? One of the things where that may come in if they ever pass this is those non-fungible tokens right. that right. people paid a lot of money for. Exactly. And my guess is you you won't be able to get much of anything for Or it. some of these cryptocurrencies, they, they go from worth something to worth less. Yes. You know? So imagine imagine paying a big tax on a on a particular cryptocurrency and all of a sudden it crashes and it's worth nothing. Again, do you get a refund of your taxes? Well, you, just FTX. If you'd had, if you right. were a big, uh, if you had a lot of money in FTX, you may not have any money right now. So the the number that we've been seeing today is that this this budget, this Biden budget includes, in addition to the spending, five point five trillion dollars in new taxes mm-hmm. over that ten year window. So, if it's a campaign document. It strikes me that it's as useful to Republicans as it is to Democrats that the Biden administration proposed raising $5.5 trillion in new taxes on the U.S. economy at a time when, frankly, the economy is not in all that great a shape. Right. It's kind of a mixed bag. We've talked about this on previous podcasts. The employment and labor situation is strong. Uh, On the other hand, Inflation is not going away as quickly as some thought, and it's, the Federal Reserve has come out and said that they're going to have to continue to do significant interest rate hikes in the future. So, again, why you'd want to slap a $5.5 trillion in new taxes on this economy is something that only a Democrat could love. Because I think the, the real fundamental philosophy behind the Democrats and progressives right now is the government knows how to spend money better than anybody else. Oh, I think that's absolutely right. I think that's absolutely right. That, that's why they think that the more control the government has over the over the economy, the better. Right. Because, of course, they, being the elected and un, unelected people who run the country, are smarter than the average person and knows better than the average person how to use their money. At least they think they are. And uh, if you want to hear more about that topic, you could look up the IPI Policy Basics episode that we did on the knowledge problem, which explains why, in fact, people in government do not know more than the overall economy and the overall population. Well, on that discouraging note about Biden's budget blowout, I guess the encouraging thing is it's not going to happen, although uh, some of it might happen. Mm-hmm. But, of course, this is, this, is the, um, this is the great argument for uh, Republicans controlling the House, even if it's not a very big margin, it at least can it can stop a lot of bad stuff from happening. And one of the issues right now is the Republicans are going to have to come out with a budget. They've held off do, doing mm-hmm. that, but they're getting a lot of pressure because once Biden puts his out there and you're going to have to have negotiations, Republicans have got to come up with their own. 
Well, and it's an opportunity, right? Because right. it's an opportunity. You know, Reagan talked about uh, bold colors, not pastels, right? And when 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 the Democrats come out with a budget busting blowout like this, it gives Republicans an opportunity to show a contrast. And rumors are that they're going to try to come up with something that will have the uh, budget balanced within ten years, and that's even though that even though the media are going out and saying right now. Well, how much would they have to cut this year in order to be able to get it balanced without touching Medicare and Social Security? That's not the issue. Right. The issue is how do you how do you uh, control spending and let the economy grow at the same time so that in the near future uh, you would actually reach a balanced budget? The problem is, even if the Republicans come out with a good balanced budget proposal, one that balances over 10 years, they've done that before. They've simply not been very good at living up to their budgets. No, no they have not. No, they've not. But at this point, if someone could just come up with a 20-year glide path toward a balanced budget, I think I'd be satisfied. <laughs> well, we would invite you to check out our website at IPI.org, where you can find a lot more content on this issue of spending, taxes, uh, def- debt and deficits, et cetera, et cetera. At our website at IPI.org, you can sign up if you'd like to receive notices of all of our new podcasts, new content, and upcoming events. If you've enjoyed this podcast, we would ask you to give us a favorable review on iTunes or on your favorite podcast platform, as those reviews help the various podcast platforms uh, recommend our podcast to others. You can also help to sponsor these podcasts by becoming a member of IPI's Giving Society. Thank you for joining us, and we will see you next time.